ball is high. It is far. It is gone to win the game. The Mets are on their way back. World champions for the 27th time. Home plate for all things Major League Baseball. This is the Nosebleeds Podcast on WFUV Sports. Welcome into another episode of the Nosebleeds Podcast. And certainly no shortage of things to get into this week. Alongside Dylan Balsamo, I am Jimmy Sullivan. Good to have you along with us here for the next... uh, however long we wind up going here. I don't know how long exactly this is going to go, but we do have a lot to get into. And Dylan, you've been hard at work covering the New York Mets, uh, at times the most exciting franchise in sports. Uh, they've, they've had a lot. Fired a hitting coach, had a, a rat infestation in the clubhouse. Actually don't want to start in either of those places, believe it or not, as, as crazy as that may sound. We are recording this on Monday, May 10th, and on Sunday, May 9th, the Mets franchise, essentially, Jacob deGrom uh, left the game with right side tightness that has uh, since been slightly clarified to mean back tightness. As of the time we're recording this, a little after two o'clock in the afternoon, uh, that has not been further clarified as to the severity of the injury, whether or not he's going to go on the IL. Obviously, though, any injury surrounding Jacob deGrom, the best pitcher in baseball, is going to be taken very seriously and and treated with the utmost importance. So, Dylan, I get your thoughts on this. Jacob deGrom leaves the game, could possibly be headed for the IL. How concerned are you? How concerned should Mets fans be right now? Well, I think it's very natural to be incredibly concerned. Uh, You know, it's, it's, it's incredibly unsettling. Uh, to watch any ace pitcher go down, but you know when it's Jacob and and he means as much as at, to the Mets as any pitcher does to any franchise at this point in time. Uh, you know it's it's incredibly concerning. You, you hope that the hope is that the Mets as an organization are just being overly precautious. Now you could argue that this was likely the result of trying to push him back after missing a start due to lat tightness too quickly. And that might be the case. And, you know, what's weird about DeGrom is that he's the kind of pitcher where, you know, he, will, he, won't, show, he won't show his hand right away in terms of whether he's, uh, whether he's really feeling any kind of injury because he threw four perfect innings before giving up one hit before he left the game after five innings on Sunday. So, you, you know, I, I, think, I, think, I think everything's going to be just fine. He might, he's definitely going to miss another start maybe another two. And if that means that he's going to be as good as he needs to be down the stretch, then I don't see why there's any problem with that. I don't know if you saw the game yesterday with DeGrom, even when he was pitching well to start that game, he just seemed so uncomfortable the entire time. Now uncomfortable for Jacob DeGrom is five innings, one run, you know, still the best pitcher or one of the best pitchers in the league at that point at 70 or 80%. But I was watching that game, and he just seemed uncomfortable. And to me, this actually goes back to the start he made against Boston. I don't remember if you covered this game or if it was Sam, but he was in the dugout after that start, and it was kind of similar to how he was yesterday. He just looked a little uncomfortable. He still gave up one run in six innings, which is 
terrific and it earned him the loss, but they, he was in the dugout and, and he was demonstrating to James McCann and I want to say Jeremy Hefner, but it could have been somebody else. And he was demonstrating his throwing motion and I'm, I'm doing it right now, fully knowing that, you know, we're an audio podcast and I can't really show this, but <laughs> he, he was demonstrating the pitching motion and he had his offhand, his glove hand, like on his side as though he was demonstrating that the lat was bothering him after that start. And that that's what wound up uh, derailing him for that start in, in St. Louis, which he wound up not making. Yeah. So interesting. I was not the one at that game. Um, I did actually see that video though uh, in between, in between editing pages of the, the Ram. I caught that uh, <laughs> off my laptop uh, squeezing and watching some Mets baseball, but, that's it, a time-honored Ram tradition is just it, having the bets on it. <laughs> it's, it's one you and I have shared together. Uh, you, but, you know, so, you know, obviously those things, these things don't come out of nowhere. Uh, so that is to be natural. So, you, you know, if the Mets, like we've been saying, if, if the Mets need to keep them out of the rotation for a week, week and a half, if, if that means that he can pitch at 100% for the remainder of the season, that's fine. Because, you know, you, you look at DeGrom, you know, back-to-back in full season Cy Young Award wins. You know, was in the running in a 60-game season where his team was certainly not good. Um, and, and, you know, some – you might argue he was – he could have he easily won that also. Uh and he's the kind of pitcher where if you would let the week, if you would let that season go another week, he could have shown that he should have won that award. And this year, his velocity on his fastball continues to increase. He hasn't really thrown his curveball yet this year at all, like zero, which is crazy. And he might be the MVP of the National League at this point, even after missing a start, only getting half a start yesterday. So th- that is something the Mets cannot afford to lose, especially when they hit times like a lot of this season when they're just not scoring runs. So if, if, if you're the Mets, be extra careful with him. Be incredibly careful. And I'm sure – I think that's why we have not heard anything is because they're just being that extra careful. Uh, but, yeah, of course it's concerning. I mean, if we obviously hear anything in the next few minutes, uh, we'll pass that along. But uh, you'll, you'll have that news – in plenty of time by, by the time you hear this podcast. But no, I, I think I agree with you. And my fear in, in how this is handled is that it's going to be a touch and go thing all season, right? He misses a start here. He misses a start there. And, and then he's in between starts. You're, you're kind of holding your breath like, oh, is he going to be okay? And then you're just in this purgatory all year. And, and let's keep in mind too. I mean, this is a Mets team that has designs on the playoffs that has high expectations for this season. So you cannot afford to mess around with Jacob deGrom's health at this point or really any other point. So really, to be honest with you, the way I look at this, I'm not terribly concerned either. I would almost rather they just throw him on the IL, miss the two starts, give them to Joey Lucchese or whoever. I mean, they've, they've, gotten creative with the bullpen the bullpen's been terrific so you can you can get away with that for two starts you can't get away with that for 20 so I I think that's how you have to be looking at it if you're the New York Mets is just say okay he's he's hurting let's yeah let's 
spend a little bit of have time on him. Let's let's get him out of here. He already missed one start. Probably wasn't entirely healthy for this start that we're talking about here. So you know what? Let's just make sure. He's he's the ace of the staff. He's probably the best pitcher in baseball. Let's just play it safe. And and I don't think I don't think there's anything wrong with that, particularly with how this Mets pitching staff is going. They can they can afford to do this now. They can't afford to do this for the entire season. Get it out of the way, leave him out, and and let the chips fall where they may. Absolutely. I'm with you on that. Like they like you just said, they they can't afford to be losing a start or two from him in August or September. That you need you need him for all of those games down the stretch. I mean, of course, one might argue that you could just say these games are happening up front anyway because it's all just the same amount of games in the end. But we all know how the end of the season is. Yeah. The intensity rises. You need your best guys there. You can't be having, you know, bullpen as much as good as this bullpen has been for the Mets. You cannot ha- be having bullpen games in September down the line when you're chasing with the Braves and you're chasing with the Padres for the East spot, for the wild card spots, with the Cardinals, with the Brewers, whoever it's going to be. You can't afford to do that. I will say on your point about the bullpen games, um, I was humored on Saturday night hearing Tommy Hunter explain <laughs> his start and how he came out for the second inning and he said, I have an epic no-hitter going. Of course I'm going back out. Like he was gonna finish the game or something after finish after pitching two nights, uh, two innings the night before, that was hilarious. His whole press conference was hilarious, but that answer in particular, I thought was amazing. Uh, you are you are so lucky to get to cover the Mets. Like this is such an insane beat. I, <laughs> I mean, I can't believe this. I actually, they, oh my goodness, they surprise me with something new every day. I, I'm gonna tell you something. Yeah. Because I didn't get the chance to really talk about this on one on one on Saturday. But to be sitting there in the press box, we're all on the Zoom press conference, when Francisco Lindor is explaining this rat or raccoon story. Oh, thank goodness my video was off. On this. <laughs> oh, oh, my. I was losing it. I couldn't. I was like, I can't believe this is real life. But the other thing, if I may note, is that during the game, you know, we in the press box don't really get to know what's, what's going on. But most people knowing what was happening with Lindor and McNeil or whoever it was, got to see it through the TV broadcast, through the, through the camera angles there. So we were all trying to figure out because we didn't know and people were asking us up in the press box. And I had a point of realization. I went, wait a minute, I'm an adult and we're a big group of adults. And we're sitting here a hundred yards away from another group of adults. And we're trying to figure out what this group of adults is saying to each other. It's like, <laughs> oh my goodness, we're in high school. What is this? This is insane. It's, I'm amazed with this story and how many people are legitimately angry about this. Like, this is some kind of problem. Like, okay, Francisco Lindor and Jeff McNeil had a fight. Everybody knows that, okay? I will go to my grave with the belief that Lindor punched McNeil in the face, all right? Yeah. That's, mm-hmm. that's what I believe, okay? We didn't have cameras in the tunnel. We don't know. But this is an outsized version of conflict that really appears in every workplace at some point or another, right? Like nobody goes to work or works at a company for a number of years. and doesn't have at least like some level of conflict. You obviously don't want it to get to that level for any number of reasons, but like, like it's, it's not peaches and cream, particularly in a 162 game baseball season. And 
look, you, you had two options in the post-game press conference. Lindor could have gotten up there, said, ah, we had a disagreement, moved on. Instead, he makes up this ridiculous story. I don't know if that's what I would have done, but it was, I thought it was funny. I laughed at it. It was funny. It was stupid. You know, it was, it was all those things. And I'm hearing people who are like really, really angry about this. Like, how could you mislead the the media about this? Everybody knows what happened. <laughs> like, who cares? That rat, raccoon. If I was the people in charge of City Field Sanitation, I'd be concerned. Oh, but yeah. otherwise, I I can't believe how like some people just need to go outside. I'm sorry. Like, like imagine being like legitimately angry about this. It couldn't be me. Couldn't well, be. Well, I, I think it's a result of a couple of things. One thing, this is something quarantine will do to you is that yeah. you start taking these things seriously and then it'll drive you crazy. So I can't blame anyone for that. But also it's a much bigger problem in regards to the Mets and the way that they're covered in the media. There are a lot of people who, who bank on and profit off of, I must say, um, the narrative that the Mets are a joke and a ridiculous franchise and they're never going to be believable or successful and all these different kinds of things. And this team having fun is just a continuation of that narrative. There are certain people who will, who will go, this is not how you be a team, how you expect to win like this. Yeah, excuse me. I don't think the 86 Mets were all that, you know, stern and fun in business. They might have left the ballpark in suits, but they were not going back to their homes in suits, if you know what I'm saying. They weren't going back to their homes right after the game either. They were not. No, they had they had some other things to attend to. Uh, and not to mention that on the field, they were a rather violent team also. I don't know. Who who wrote the book on the 86 message called The Bad Guys One? Oh, uh, Jeff Perlman. Yeah, great book. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So, you know, it's not always <laughs> not not everybody on the team is going to be Brandon Nimmo. You know what I mean? Like, you're not always not everyone's mayonnaise. Some people are sriracha. <laughs> well, all this stuff has happened now that Nimmo's out. You know, Donnie <laughs> exactly. Stevenson and the rat. Uh, I'm not a correlation causation guy. My favorite story from that book was when they were telling the story about after they beat Houston in the NLCS and they're on the plane and they're breaking the seat backs to play poker. Yep. And they <laughs> Delta, I think it was Delta was the flight and they charged them like $10,000 cause they broke all their seat backs on the private plane. And, uh, Frank Cashin, the GM of that team, brought the receipt to David Johnson. He's like, look, you guys, you guys got to pay this. So David Johnson goes to the clubhouse and he holds the receipt up in his hand and he tears it apart. The clubhouse goes nuts and he you know, says to take the receipt and I'm not going to finish the sentence, but I, I think you know where it's going. <laughs> and, yeah, I think I do. That was but that was the stern, serious, businesslike New York Mets of 35 years ago. So I no, I'm not worried about this. I'm not worried about Lindor and McNeil. They're obviously getting along. Lindor gave him a hug at the postgame press conference. But just remember, it was a raccoon. Rat. Rat coon. Oh, that's cool. a new one. I've never heard that one before, but that's what we're going with. It sounds like it sounds like something you hear on a friends episode, quite frankly. Oh man, yeah. <laughs> uh I guess I guess Phoebe came up with that one. I'm not sure. Well <laughs> I have to think about that one. Moving on from the Mets, I don't know how you do that, but moving on from the Mets, uh, I want to want to go to the New York Yankees. They played Washington over the weekend, took two out of three, very exciting fashion, both wins. They get a Gleyber Torres dribbler for a walk-off in the 11th inning on Saturday. They get a Giancarlo Stanton walk-off single in the ninth inning on Sunday. 
couple of big wins. The Yankees up up above, uh, up above 500. Ooh. And this is a team that starting to turn it around. Offense starting to come around. Aaron Judge has been lost at the plate, but nonetheless, they're doing enough to win right now. They're staying afloat in the American League East. And Dylan, I continue to not be worried about the New York Yankees. I think they'll be all right. And I think uh, in the words of Bruce Springsteen, we will look back on this and it will all seem funny. It sure will. It absolutely will. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say I'm going to pick the Yankees to win the World Series this year. But, you know, I there are there are no doubt winner of the American League in my mind. And I know you feel the same way. You know, it's of course you're going to have struggles. The Yankees just so happen to have theirs at this point in the year. That's fine. And, you know, there's something to be said in some of the better Yankee teams in the last 10 or so years can uh, can attest to this. There's something about a couple walk-off wins in a weekend that'll invigorate your team and carry you through the really dog days of summer and the season. So, you know, it, every everyone's going to pick up eventually. You know, there's also, it's something worth saying because, you know, we talk about how offense is down all over uh, the big leagues right now. I think it is less about the ball being dead or, uh, or just how good pitchers are. I think it's more about, you know, being a hitter is naturally more difficult in terms of plate appearance to plate appearance than being a pitcher because by nature as a hitter, you're going to fail seven out of 10 times. It is even harder to do that after the craziest season major league baseball has ever had the most unique season and now you're coming back. This is your first actual season in front of actual fans in two years. So, of course, there's going to be an adjustment. And for the Yankees, it just so happened to be a, a greater one. I think partially because there's a lot of pressure on them this year, more pressure than there's been in a really long time. So, you know, for the Yankees, it, it's – I, you know, I, I was concerned, not worried. I think there's a difference. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I think you feel the same way. It was like, this, of course, this is going to happen. Yeah, and it's really interesting you bring up the point about hitting because there's a lot of really flawed narratives, but I think particularly surrounding the Yankees recently, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody says to no end, oh, this team strikes out too much. They don't put the ball in play enough. They don't do this. They don't do that. Velocity is at an all-time high. Pitch movement, it seems, is at an all-time high. You know, pitchers are getting better and better. Everybody likes to focus in, in baseball about how Oh, you know, the, the hitters today, they don't want to. Well, yeah, well, no offense, but in 1980 or 1985, you didn't have most of the guys throwing 97, 98 miles an hour. Uh, I'm sorry, like I, I hate to say it, but it, the, the breed of pitcher today and just the, the pure stuff that these guys see, like it's so much better than it was 30, 40 years ago. Like it's insane. Like you would have – you used to have a guy throw 95, 96, and that was incredible. Now that's the norm. Like, if you don't throw 95, 96 now, it's like a red flag or something. So everybody says, oh, well, hitters strike out too much. But, <laughs> yeah, you go swing a baseball bat, you know? <laughs> you strike out too. And that's that, to me, is the simplest explanation of why, why the strikeout rates are so high, why, you know, why the Yankees' strikeout rate has been so high the last couple of years. It's just it's, it's not necessarily their fault. Like, Aaron Judge would make more contact 30 years ago. But yeah. the, the era he's playing now, that's just not going to happen. Yeah, it's also a matter of, you know, the people talk about the concern over how 
a lot of at bats more so than ever are, are true outcome at bats, if you will, strikeouts, walks, and home runs. And and you know, um, our friend Nick DeLuca and I on this podcast a couple times have had this conversation. But there's a lot of people who will say, you know, you, you can't you can't win a World Series like that. You're not going to do it like that. First off, yeah, you can because the whole league is doing it. Get out of here, you dummy. <laughs> part part of my French. Uh, but also. Let's not discount the Yankees pitching here. The Yankees have the best pitcher in the American League. The Yankees have a pretty good staff, and they're only going to get better as the season goes on. So, you know, that's just – it's it's a null factor for them. Yeah, and I do think there is, you know, something to be said for putting the ball in play. Everybody goes back to the Red Sox a couple of years ago, and, you know, well, they, they made more contact, so – naturally they uh wound up winning the world series and i was i was sitting there and i was hearing that and i was like well yeah okay but also you know they had a guy in alex cora who did a phenomenal managing job i thought and they had guys who kind of got hot at the right time and i mean the nationals kind of had that 19 as well they didn't strike out a ton and look there's something for that there absolutely is, but the talent on this roster, uh, what they're able to do up and down the lineup, you know, Glaber Torres hadn't gotten going until yesterday. He hits the home run. They'll be they'll be fine in the sense of the American League. Um, I don't think anyone is necessarily expecting them to win a championship, and, and we'll get into some of those teams in a moment, but. In the context of quote unquote what they're supposed to do this year, I think they'll be fine. Also, like very valid point. Who who else is it going to be in the American League? I mean, it's going to be Boston, who has the best record right now. Chicago, Oakland. Like, I don't know who it's going to be. I don't I don't see that team right now, even with the Yankees' slightly slow start. No, not at all. I mean, the Red Sox have you might say the best offense in the American league at the moment, at the least they're a very similar offense to the Yankees. Maybe they don't strike at as, but they're a very much a true outcome team themselves. Um, they got some speed. They got some good contact hitters. Yeah, they do, but they're hitting a lot of home runs. It's just, it's just what's going to happen. This is the state, especially of the American league right now. It's just kind of how things are, but yeah, there's no one to rival the Yankees in the AL this year. There just isn't. So, you know, by the time the best team in baseball, is always in first place by the end of July. It's just almost mm-hmm. always how it is. So, you know, we'll, we'll see by the end of July just who the best team in the American League is. I think we all know who it is. Yeah, I do too. Also, like, if you were to guess where, you know, everybody says, oh, they strike out too much. The Yankees are 14 in strikeout yeah. rate right now, by the way. So you can take those narratives and you can uh, you can rip up the receipts, as Davey Johnson did in the, the Mets clubhouse. Um, I want to move on to the National League. Some of the teams we were talking about before the season, or not talking about before the season, as, as you'll see us get into. One of them that we were, not just as a team that could go to the World Series, win the World Series again, but be one of the best teams ever, was the Los Angeles Dodgers. They have been wrecked by injuries they are 4 and 14 in their last 18 games. Um, a lot of that since their last series with the Padres 
They've had some injuries, Dustin May, most notably, they're the young starting pitcher outfitter the rest of this year, maybe all next year as well with Tommy John surgery. Dylan, I know that the expectations were exorbitant for the Dodgers. They were going to do this, they were going to do that, they were going to win 120 games, whatever. You look at this stretch, you look at how they're playing. What's the level of concern? I mean, it's, it's any team can lose a number of games, and I get that. But this is an extended stretch. This is almost three weeks of bad baseball they have played. How concerned do you think we should be right now about the way this team's rolling? Well, it's a good question. It's more so than it is for the Yankees, because at least with the Yankees, we could talk about who else is it going to be. It's, yeah. it's not really something to make the Yankees feel better about themselves, but more about, better about their chances. Uh, for the Dodgers, you, look, you know, every team's going to have a bad stretch. Uh, and, and I would argue some of the best, some of the, some of my favorite World Series winning teams had some really terrible stretches of the year, um, bordering on three weeks. Maybe not this bad, maybe not four and 14, but, but bad. Um, the Dodgers do not have the advantage the Yankees do of being in an easier spot. The Dodgers are in the toughest division in baseball um, because, you know, and when it comes down to it, they are a good team. When they're healthy, they're, they're a great team. The Padres are such a good team. And, you know, th- there's another team in their division who we're going to talk about in a second who is also proving themselves to be a better team than we expect them to be. So if you're the Dodgers, you, you got to be more than a little concerned, not enough to push any kind of panic buttons or, tra- or already start making trades. I wouldn't even worry about that. I would worry about getting – getting your guys back, making sure they're healthy. Because once you do that, you're going to be just fine. But for now, it's a little unsettling. I I think that's the biggest thing with the Dodgers because they've had a bunch of injuries, particularly with their pitching, and they have extraordinary pitching depth depth in their organization. But, I mean, they've got, you know, uh, Gonsal and Hurt. Price just went on the I.L. Bruce Dark Gratterall went on the I.L. Cody Bellinger is a position player, but he's on the IL. Uh, Tommy Canley, who they got from the Yankees, you know, has, has been on the IL. Corey Knebel, same thing. They have so many injuries. Like, this is – I don't care if you have the best pitching depth in the world. This is incredible to see how banged up they are. I, I, I'm trying to think if I've ever actually seen this many injuries at once to a bullpen. And I think we're all a little concerned – because let's be real, it was a 60-game season last year, and the, the ramp-up has been weird going back to 162. There is a ton of injuries around the league right now, and a ton of guys on the I.L. not related to COVID. And an, an unintended consequence, I think, of this season being what it is, is that you're, you're going to have more injuries. And I think the Dodgers are being victimized by that. And this season – perhaps maybe a little more than we might have thought at the beginning is going to be an attrition season, kind of like what we saw last year. You know, the teams with the the most starting pitchers and and the best pitching they could throw out there are going to win. And the teams that are banged up who, who have to go into their depth into the alternate site and into the, the taxi squad to go out, get guys are, are going to be kind of left behind. And I think the Dodgers are experiencing that the hard way right now, despite the fact that they've got, a fleet of pitchers you dream of. Yeah. I mean, this is like we just talked about with the Yankees. This is, this is bound to happen 
with every team, perhaps not this dire, um, but it's going to happen. So, you know, at least if, if you're the Dodgers, you can take comfort in the knowledge that this is not, this is not who your team is. This is not who your team is going to be because eventually things are going to turn out just fine for them. Um, I don't think there's any doubt in anyone's mind of that. Um, now, a stretch like this might cost them the division in a, in a division that's crazy as this one, as the Padres who are going to be knocking on your door the entire year, this might, this might put them over the edge. Um, but if you're the Dodgers, you are as experienced of a postseason team as any team in baseball. Uh, so it's not an incredible concern come time to really play baseball for now. Of course, it's a little unsettling like we've been talking about, but it, you know, they're going to, they're going to be okay. Um, but, you know, you also worry about this amount of injuries. Um, with this amount of injuries, one or two of them are bound to be more long-term than you want it to be. I think you and I haven't followed the Mets for a long time. We've learned that lesson many times over. And then watch them go to other teams and be great, like Matt Harvey and Zach Wheeler. But we don't have to talk about that right now. Um, there's 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 a level of concern that should be there um but not of your overall team this is not a this is not a thesis of who your team is this is just this is just a point in the road i will say the trevor bauer press conference yesterday i don't know if you saw it but yeah. he was talking about how oh i'm pissed i came here to win and we're not doing that i mean it's when he's right yeah <laughs> <laughs> Get out of here, man. I just, like, what are you, like, take a look around the room. Your whole team is in casts. Stop. <laughs> yeah. You got to be, like, if you're, um, what's that guy's name? If you're, like, Sheldon Noisy right now and you're filling in at, at second base or, like, if you're one of these bullpen arms, they just call back up. Like, that's got to make you feel good. <laughs> you heard Trevor Bauer say that. Like, what? Watch, I. I'd be willing to put some money on it right now. He's going to opt out at the end of the season and go somewhere else. Oh, absolutely. No doubt in my mind. No doubt in my mind. And they, they, they might they might win it this year, too, and he'll still yeah. do it. Yeah. Well, hey, I mean, if you can if you can opt out of a $45 million deal, go for it. Go oh, for yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> After the taxes in California, it's like $5 million anyway. So, you know, yeah, right. yeah we'll see. We'll see what ha- happens there. One more before we go. I didn't think I'd be saying this at any point this season, let alone a month in. The first place San Francisco Giants in the National League West. Uh, they're an interesting team to me for a number of reasons. They're in a division that people thought was was going to be a certain way and it's not. They have under uh, overperformed in a number of different ways this year. We are talking about it before the show, Dylan. I'll just put you on the spot. This team, are they for real? Are they not? Will they be competitive down the stretch? How do you look at the 2021, and that's notable because it's an odd-numbered year, San Francisco Giants? Yeah, I, I don't know if I have that much faith in them, not just because it's an odd-numbered year. I'm not going to discount Giants teams of the past. But, um, you know, in, in, a, in a different year, I, would be, I might have all my chips in on the Giants and say, oh, this is a team that could fight for a wild-card spot. And meet and meet the Mets, the Padres, the Cardinals, or somebody in that game. But you, you know, you, you look at this roster, and I, I know you have it up, so you'll probably tell us in just a second. It's an old roster. 
It's a, it's a 2014 Yankees looking roster. Um, this division is incredibly tough. The Dodgers are going to continue to compete, even though they are, they're having their health issues right now. They'll, they'll continue competing now. They'll continue competing when they're healthy again, even more so. The Padres are going to be – the Padres also have the advantage of – they seem to have a real hold on the national narrative of baseball at the moment. And that does seem to play a real advantage to different teams. That, that gives you a certain kind of momentum that will push you forward. Um, so games against the Padres are going to continue to be tough. It's just going to be a difficult division. So for the Giants, they're going to have to go to the Central and go to the East, and they're going to have to fight and win those games. You know, the, the Central is going to be a little bit easier because that division is just not as strong this year as it has been in years past. But the East is also going to be tough. The East has some really good teams. You got you got the Braves, you got the Mets, you got the Phillies, you got the Nationals, and you got the Marlins who are hitting really well right now. So, you know, for the Giants, it's it's not that they're a bad team. It's just, I think the fact that there are so few areas for them to thrive and make kind of their niche that the way they're playing right now is unfortunately for them just not sustainable. Yeah, I mean they're they're twenty and fourteen right now, the first place in the in the NL West. I, I, I do think it's worth it to look at who they have played. I mean they played Seattle, they played the Padres six times, but yeah. they played the Rockies, the Reds, the Marlins, Phillies, Marlins again, Rockies again. I mean, this is not, you know, they're not running the gullet of the schedule yet. And it's very interesting you make the point about the national narrative of baseball. Because with with everything that's gone on with the Dodgers, uh, the Padres have not been too much better in that time either since that last <laughs> series at Dodger Stadium. But everybody say nobody's talking about the Padres when they struggle. But when they're good, when they're good, it's all the headlines. I guess that comes with the expectation of, being the best team ever, which is what the, the Dodgers had. Uh, Giants have the Rangers for two, then the Pirates for three, then the Reds, uh, and then they've got the Dodgers uh, second to last weekend in May. So this will be a conversation that's not going away yeah. with the San Francisco Giants. At least <laughs> I don't think. I will say their lineup, as you said, is old. Buster Posey, Mike Kostremski, Brandon Belt, all guys over 30. Wilmer Flores is also in that lineup. Uh, which he, he was last year as well. So that's Certainly something, but you know, in the NL West, Dodgers, Padres, really good. Giants could be really good. And then you've got the Rockies and the Diamondbacks. They're bad. Everybody knows they're bad, but Mets just played the Diamondbacks and they quite frankly demonstrated why they're going to be fourth or fifth in this division because they, they made a number of just poor plays over the course of the weekend. Giants with the wild card. I mean, they could, they could get something done. We'll see what winds up happening, but. I am skeptical, especially, you know, you've got the front of the rotation, Kevin Gossman, Anthony DiSclefani. I mean, not guys you typically associate with pitching big games. <laughs> I hate to say it, but not, I mean, they've, they've both got sub three ERAs. It's a good start for them. Kevin Gossman solid. I like him a lot, but not, not to that extent. I don't think that's sustainable either, but they pitch really well. So, Hey, good for them. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're good pitchers. Uh, you definitely don't want to discount them. Uh, but they're not Madison Bumgarner, you know, it's, it's, it's a different, it's just a different thing, you know, and you know, this division is going to continue to be really tough all through the summer. Um, and so, and for the giants, they really do not, with the exception of, of, of Buster Posey and Wilmer and Wilmer Flores to an extent, not a ton of 
um, meaningful game in September experience, which does seem to play a huge factor. Uh, you know, you, the, reason you, the reason you want veterans on your team, the reason you want a strong team, and this is something that um, you look at, you know, the Mets just played the Diamondbacks, and a lot of people discuss that when the Diamondbacks first came to be, they filled the roster with 30-year-old veterans right. and won the World Series in four years. Um, with the Giants, it looks like, you know, the reason you typically want veterans is because uh, they have the experience that will be vital to you down the line. Uh, the Giants, with the exception of Posey and Flores, don't really have that. What they do have is age, and that doesn't really work to an advantage if you don't have the postseason experience in baseball. So, you know, unfortunately for the Giants' sake, it's just it's just not going to be. They're going to have to continue to to rebuild their roster. And unfortunately, if if their if their roster is this old, it might be a while. Yeah, I mean, the, the Giants and the Mets are working on playoff drafts at the same time. Five years. Yeah. They played in the wild card game in 16. Everybody remembers how that ended, but be interesting to see with the Giants. But that'll just about wrap it up for this week's episode of Nosebleeds. For my partner, Dylan Balsamo, I'm Jimmy Sullivan. Thank you for listening to Nosebleeds, a production of WFUV Sports.